Welcome back, Rebels. Guess what's happening on the 2nd of February, 2021? I don't have to guess, David, because I know. Uh, we're having our third Access event on the 2nd of February. So if you want to come along to that, if you haven't been along to one previously, you can go to creativerebels.co forward slash access. That's creativerebels.co forward slash access. Fill in the form there and then we'll send you all the details on the day. I don't know if you've heard, but 2021, there's this cool new thing called Zoom. And there's nothing that people love more than going on a Zoom hangout. Obviously, we're used to doing events in person, but this is as good as we can do right now. And like, seriously, they've been so fun. Yeah, the last two we've done have been absolutely amazing. Like, they're so much better than I ever expected them to be as well. Like, the community there is so strong. People are asking great questions. It's a place that you can come along. And if you've got any questions around creativity, business, or anything that we talk about on this show, come along and ask those questions because we basically start off the sessions with a 15 minute talk, a bit like the intros that we do. And then we go into QA. So, anything you want to know yeah come along ask your questions yeah we jump you into the call so you can uh, have some face time with us and uh, yeah we we get down and answer everyone's questions so hopefully see you on the 2nd of february 2021 go to creativerebels.co forward slash access to sign up boom see you then so i was thinking about pro wrestling the other day i feel like you're always thinking about pro wrestling but but continue i do think about other stuff as well but recently a performer that was a wrestler um passed away and it was very sad and the company that he worked for put on this like amazing tribute show and Jonna and I watched it and we were in floods of tears. It was really beautiful and it wasn't it wasn't so much about the kind of wrestler he was. It was about the kind of man he was mm-hmm. and what an amazing father he was. And and so I've I've just been thinking about it all week. It's been on my mind continuously. It's been it's been like really, really present. And I was thinking like we're new year, whatever, like last year was a fucking disaster. And it looks like the first six months of this, at least are going to be challenging. Yeah. And I was thinking about what we talked about last year of like having a word for the year and how that word can like shape what you do. Because if you're, if you're trying to, if your word of the year is fun, then the decisions you make are different to if your word of the year is hard work. What I love about this show is us working out our thoughts in real time yeah so that's what i'm I'm doing right now like literally this is this is just me but i think my word for the year is going to be legacy that sounds sounds like you're gonna die this year (laughs) you never know this is the thing that's a good point yeah and the pro wrestling guy that that passed away a guy called Brody lee he was 41 not Mm -hmm. that much older than i am and that was like a, a stark reminder of you you never know when when your time is up and the the thing that struck me about him that's so interesting and, and the reason that I wanted to talk about it in relation to the show yeah is because he was working for WWE which is for those who don't know the biggest wrestling federation there is in the world multi-million dollar company he was working there for several years and it got to the stage where he was unfulfilled with his 9 to 5 job which is as a pro wrestler world famous traveling the world going to loads of celebrity parties and whatever and that must be really weird as well because i imagine as a kid growing up he that would be the pinnacle of his career that's all he ever wanted i'm sure was to be in the wwe like i don't know but i'd imagine that's the pinnacle for, for, for most wrestler. wrestlers that is like yeah for most wrestlers that is like the the spot you want to end up at and this guy was working away earning a, a fantastic living but he was unhappy because the people in charge didn't see him as a main event superstar. So they weren't putting him in those positions to he wasn't winning championships. He wasn't in the yeah. biggest matches, et cetera, et cetera. And so he, by all accounts, he had a conversation with his wife who was very supportive and said, you're not happy there. Why don't you go? So like, take the pay cut. We'll, we'll survive. Take the pay cut. Go to a smaller company where you can be yourself. Yeah. So he left and he was only in this new company for seven months before he passed away. And in that time, he showed that, he, like, he showed all of these talents that no one had seen before because he was stifled by the regime that he was in. And he, t- he took that leap, he took the pay cut, and he was happy for that, like, that final period of his life. Had he not done that, I'm presuming he would have died at exactly the same point uh, in time. I wouldn't have watched this incredible tribute show that, that AEW put on for him. And we wouldn't be having this conversation because yeah. no one ever would have known that this guy was incredibly talented apart from the, the few that had sort of seen it in him. 
I suppose what's amazing about that is the fact that based on what you've just said there, like I don't know anything about this guy, but he managed to basically form a legacy and form something that was worth having a documentary about within seven months. And that's actually amazing when you break it down to like with this little change that he made in his life, that's what created this like huge legacy that is worth talking about and hopefully influenced so many people. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true in that in the last seven months, he showed us like how creative he was and and what an excellent performer he was. But I think this is why what got me thinking about Legacy is that was obviously mentioned in this tribute show. But the overriding, like everyone was doing these interviews and like it was so hard to watch. It was really, really sad. And everyone was doing these interviews of their one of their best mates that's just passed away. Yeah. And they were all saying like, they were like, yeah, he was great in the ring. We had some amazing matches, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, talking about how he was as a father, as a best friend, as like as a man. And that for me, like that's the legacy. And even though through like the the big chunk of his career beforehand, he wasn't creatively fulfilled, he was still building legacy by the yeah. way he was treating the people around him and like by the kind of obviously from all accounts, the kind of dad that he was. Um, his kids were like the most important thing to him. And that just made me think of like, do you remember when you and me had that big long conversation with um, Steph Ellswood and we all ended up in tears yeah. and we almost ended up in tears on our, our podcast recording as well because we kind of like, we all remembered the conversation and kind yeah, of touched yeah, yeah. back on it. But that was a conversation about legacy and that was a conversation about how how Steph's nan had just so impacted her and and how by her, like in in honouring her grandma, that's how she carried the legacy on. And it just makes me think that like everything we're doing, and this is so high level and I am still working this out in my own head, but everything that we're doing, the it really doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like the the method of delivery is not important. It's it's how we touch people and how we help people. And so for me, it just made me think like this podcast, and so I'm I, I'm not letting you speak. I'm sorry. I'm going on this big tirade. <laughs> I, I had my own episode last week. Fucking hell! Like like <laughs> hogging the airways. But but like literally, I was thinking about like this show and how important it is to me, and how how like when you strip away everything else, it is the most important thing that we're doing because it's actually in real time helping people. And I got a DM today from someone who'd listened to to my episode last week, who was 13 years old, and. If you're 18 plus and you listen to this show, you're old enough and ugly enough to make your own mistakes. I felt like this huge duty yeah. to that kid to like provide the right information, like show them the right path as far as I can, as much as I know is the right path and not make any mistakes because I don't want them to to screw up because of me. And like, it just made me think like, yeah, this this is my legacy is is helping people in as many ways as I can, like helping them through artwork, but more importantly, and and the easiest way to help people is via this show. Yeah, I like the idea of legacy because I suppose as soon as you decide that's going to be your word and the fact that it will start to impact all aspects of your life, then it does start to become, it's not just a legacy you're leaving with Creative Rebels, it's a legacy you're leaving with your friends, your family, everyone you touch. And I think that's where it becomes really powerful when it's like, if you decide that every single person you're going to meet, you're going to leave some form of legacy with, something that if you disappeared tomorrow that they would remember you for and you somehow made a positive impact on their lives and I feel like if anyone can do that just like whenever you have some form of meeting some form of like connection with some other human they leave feeling more positive than when you started that conversation and I think that's a really powerful thing to be able to kind of give to people and to give to the world and it is again it comes to those slow little progressions instead of it having to be this one giant thing there's all these little things that you can touch upon in the world it, just like by making someone smile once and if you do that a hundred times in a month then suddenly that adds up to a lot the more you can kind of combine those that's when an impact really starts to happen and i think that's when a legacy does start to form when it goes back to patience plus consistency it's like if you can do that over and over again constantly that's when a legacy will really start to form. A hundred percent. And it, it makes me think of that quote of people won't remember what you said or what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And that's that's a hundred percent true. And and you can see it in your own life when you think of certain people. And it's yeah, is you do remember how those people made you feel. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot. I've been been really reflecting and um 
So that's my word of the year, legacy, and and seeing how I can leave something behind, leave leave the planet better than I found it, and and hopefully help some people on the way to to actually. It's like I said in my episode last week, like to lead a more beautiful life. Um, mm. And I think that's I think that's done through creativity. I really I really see no better way than that. So so yeah, that's that's my that's my word. What's yours? Uh, I, I was thinking about this because you did ask me the other day to think about this before the thing and I was like oh fuck I actually didn't think about it then or I did and didn't actually come up with a word um but thinking about it now I think my word will probably be friendships and I think so much of what we talked about in my episode the other week and just how life has changed so much over the past few years by having this show kind of by just meeting new people all the time I think friendships are so important and it's something that I feel like I love meeting new people kind of growing those initial connections but I think making more of an effort to keep those connections going and make sure you check in more often with people so it's not just you have a meeting and then it fizzles out it's to keep those relationships like strong and keep them growing and like people that I actually want to have a relationship with make sure that I set the time aside and to nurture those relationships because I think that is really important and those relationships and friendships that I've gained so far like in our business career mean so much to me and I think I want to develop those more, continue to meet new people, develop new friendships, because like we talk about all the time, like the people you meet will change your life. And I think that the more we can do to help foster those relationships and grow them and so much good comes from other people if you treat it in a friendly way. And I think it kind of, it links slightly to what you said about legacy. And it's like, and just making sure that those connections you have with people are positive. Yeah, you used the word nurture there. And I think that's that's the most important um, factor because really everything in life like you are like if you don't water the plants they die and that's the yeah. same for your business and it's the same like wh- whatever areas in your life where you are paying the most attention those are the areas that are the strongest and if there's areas that you're neglecting those are probably the areas that that are not performing well and one of those areas can be relationships and mm-hmm. and I'm fucking terrible for it and I probably need to write down friendship as well and and my friends know so like they know not to expect a call from me like unless it's once every six months but um but yeah I I, I really should work on that it's something it's, it's a weakness so I, I should work on it too yeah I think as well and it kind of links nicely onto this week's episode I think that's people's biggest problem with social media the fact that they're always trying to make these new friends get these new connections but they're not too worried about the people who are already there and I think as soon as you can make those connections and worry about the people that are there, nurture those things. That's when good things happen, once you nurture relationships. And I think, yeah, I think that's why going forward, I think that that nurturing friendships is is key for this year. Yeah, I am amazed the amount of accounts that I see that if someone leaves them a comment, they don't actually respond to that comment. Yeah. And if that person has... It's the most basic thing to do. Dude, it take, like I spend probably 20 to 30 minutes every morning going through and replying to every single comment. Um, unless it's just emojis and then I just like it, but, um, but (laughs) I, I I generally respond in the amount that they gave me. So if they give me an emoji, I'll give them an emoji back. If they wrote a nice comment, I'll give them a nice comment back. Yeah. And, and I think if you're always looking for the, for the next followers and you're not looking after the followers you've got, that's like, that's a a road to, to destruction. You segue it beautifully there into uh, the world of social media, because that is what this week's episode is, is very heavy on. Yeah, this week we're talking to Unsa Malik and she is a social media expert and and I was really like wary of her because I'm wary of all people who use the word social media expert because there are (laughs) so many charlatans in that field. Basically just did a quiet little follow on Twitter and just started to observe what she was putting out. And I just thought she's putting out such great content. I I wanted to have a chat with her. So uh, this is that chat and I think it was a really good one. She definitely knows her stuff. Yes, Unsa Malik is a social media expert. Unsa has worked in social media for a decade, helping famous brands grow online. After feeling like her career had no upward momentum, she would become the top social expert at every single company that she worked for, she decided to go freelance and build her own business. Unsa implemented her knowledge to quickly launch and grow her personal channels and went on to release a best-selling ebook, helping readers conquer their social media demons. In this episode, we talk about engagement, aesthetics and vanity metrics there was an influencer who was on over a million followers and she struggled to sell 25 t-shirts 
And then there are kind of like a mum and daughter duo brand on 10,000 followers and they're millionaires. You join this episode as we are talking about appearing out of nowhere. I guess in some ways I did pop out of nowhere because I've been working behind the scenes. I've been in-house for a long time and I worked on social media, in social media since its infancy, since Facebook was huge and no one... um, cared for Instagram it was just a silly little app you just uploaded your pictures and your selfies from um and sunsets and Twitter and Facebook was massive back then because I've always been behind the scenes I mean no one really cares to see who the social media manager is behind that brand right unless you're in the industry or you're kind of going out of your way to look on LinkedIn no one's going to check that and for me I mean, I, I don't I don't hate the nine to five. I love the nine to five. I think I learned a lot from the nine to five and I wouldn't have the knowledge I had today if I hadn't gone through that because it's different saying you're an expert from the outside and kind of growing your own account. But then it's another thing to be able to do it for brands as well in-house. And then I wrote a post on my personal Instagram page. It's, it was public at the time because I just kind of worked with lots of influencers. It was in the beauty industry mm-hmm. back then and just 10 ways to increase your engagement and that blew up from my personal account and I thought okay well people actually do want real advice and I just wrote that because I get so many emails and dms from influencers because I'm I'm very keen on keeping my relationships on I'm in-house and I always say you go from brand to brand but your relationships go with you you know you, you walk into yeah. a, a new role and they want to see you've got your relationships already existing you know if you're going into a managerial role instead of replying back to every single EM and DM specifically to each person, which took up a lot of my time, I thought, let me just do this post. It will answer everyone's questions. That blew up. That went a bit viral in the space. Got like a million more questions after that. So I thought, I'm just going to make a separate page, which I made. And it was actually called Slashed It, the name of my book, because I didn't want to put my name out there. I just wanted it to be this page where it's just kind of this advice. But slowly, people are asking, like, who the hell is behind this account? And I have a few friends who kind of do their own thing now, and they said, you need to put your name to it. You know, you've got, you've got your, your on Twitter, and you've got quite a following there. You need to bring that back onto Instagram. And now it's kind of flipped my bigger following is on Instagram. So in some ways, I did pop out of nowhere, but I, I have been behind the scenes for so many years and in the industry. So I've not popped out of nowhere for that kind of tiny little nine to five publishing beauty world but to the real world out there to all these people you have online in some ways I do see I did come up out of nowhere but yeah the success is not because I just made an Instagram account and I decided to post content it's from my knowledge I've accumulated over all those years which a lot of people don't get you know people DM me and they say oh I saw you haven't had your account for so long how have you grown how have you made so many sales and I'm like well because the context of what I'm sharing isn't out there it's not well it might be out there but not widely known amongst so many people but I only know that because I've been working for so long. Yeah absolutely Um, I I think there's so many people that do work behind the scenes that um, never think of applying what they're applying to their clients or their brands or whatever it is they do for their day job and they don't ever think of applying it to themselves and so so how was it like was it just that one post that kind of tipped you over into okay I think there's an idea here what was your thought process in sort of leaving the nine to five and actually doing this full-time for yourself I'm the kind of person if I have an idea I wake up and I do it immediately. I don't think two, three, four times about it. I just do it. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Honestly, I thought, let me just write this one post for my Instagram account. 10 minutes later, the post was up on my Instagram account. 10 minutes after that, when I just saw lots of numbers coming in very suddenly, I told myself, I don't want this to be my on my personal account. I'm going to take it to a public account. And then, honestly... Two months after that, I said, I'm going to write an ebook. I'd written two sentences and I posted it on my Instagram, I'm writing an ebook. Granted, oh. people were waiting a very long time for it because it's a <laughs> very long ebook. But I'm, yeah, I'm the person who, if I have an idea, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to do and I don't think twice because in that moment of me thinking it's going to be an amazing idea, I don't let the doubt come. I don't let the overthinking come for it to take over. 
So yeah. wrote the ebook. Was still in my nine to five while I was writing the ebook, and I think in a weird way, this pandemic and being on a bit of a furlough and just having a bit more time allowed me to speed up the process of writing my book. And then I got to a point where I thought, what I'm doing is a full-time job. There's no way I can possibly give my all in my nine to five and give my all in what I'm doing. I need to kind of sacrifice one way or the other. I feel like in my last couple of positions in my nine to five, I got to the point where I felt like wherever I go, I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm Mm. teaching lots of people above me. And just because of the way the hierarchy is in a nine to five, I'm not going to get promoted to the head of or director level role just like that overnight. So I needed to take myself out of that and just do it for myself. And, you know, when I left um, Elle magazine, you know, at the top of, the fashion publishing world and there isn't for me I felt like there was no way to go after that in the magazine world because I've kind of hit it and made it to the top of that world and when I left that job I solely left I you know I loved the team I loved everyone there but I told my manager who's also lovely look I've expired my time here because I've hit so many goals I don't understand where else I can possibly go from here unless you invent five roles above me right now for me to step into and then I went into the next yeah. role and I got into the same point. I said, I've expired my time here again. And then when I got to the last one that I just left um, earlier this year, I thought, you know what, it's time for me to go solo because it's a new, fairly new industry. So there aren't many digital media kind of directors or people you can learn from just like that. It's not like a normal nine to five role where you've got that um, your traditional marketing managers and so on. Yeah, you might have the big media houses, but I never really found it appeal for working for a big media house. After that, I thought, you know what, it's time to go solo because I'm not learning anything anymore and I always need to be in the go. I always need to be learning. I need to have a place where I can be creative and just put my own ideas into use immediately, which is why the night, um, coming out of the 9 to 5 worked perfectly for me. So what did the first week of going solo look like for you? If I'm being honest, it was amazing because I went solo <laughs> when my ebook launched and even though my ebook kind of launched bang and the sales came almost immediately, I had been marketing this ebook for such a long time. So many people knew it was coming just from that first Instagram post of me saying I'm writing a new book. And then as my followers grew, more and more people started to learn that I had an ebook coming out so then when it did come out you know I gave kind of little previews here and there and made sure the content I uploaded in the weeks coming up to the ebook launch was my I would say super gold content which a lot of people hadn't published elsewhere. Were you building like an email list or a waiting list at that point? No so no waiting list just because I felt like what if it doesn't launch on this day and I'm just going to have so many people saying where the hell's the ebook you know you've taken my money and where's the ebook and so here's the thing with me and email lists I believe in them 100% I've worked for brands where I've seen lots of money come from email lists in the world of in quotation experts social media marketing pros and so on I've seen their emails and I get so turned off it's just so cringe um the words that they use, the way they try to sell. And then they're teaching people to sell in that same way. And I grew so against it. I wanted to grow a bit more of an organic following from social media alone. And I also wanted to prove that you don't need to fall into those cold emails people send and hounding people for sales when there is a much more authentic and nicer way of doing it. So I do have an email list now, but that's just because people leave their email address when they buy my ebook. And I don't bombard them with emails when I kind of update the ebook because you get the free updates once you buy it the one time. I just send them an email when there's an update in the ebook. And you know, when I introduce my affiliate scheme, just kind of important tiny bits of information like that. I'm not saying I won't go into email marketing more in the future, but I'm just so conscious I don't want to fall into that hole of bombarding people and begging yeah. for sales and I've seen it so much that it's turned me off and I've seen it at all angles you know I've, seen, I've been working for brands and I've seen some copy and I'm like that's not going to work because I would hate to receive that email for some reason lots of kind of marketing experts they would hate to receive that email but they'll still send that email 
you know and I'm sure there are so many stats out there saying email marketing does work and like I said I'm not against it but I don't want to fall into that trap so until I found a way it personally works for me and you know it might be that I grow a tiny bit more for following and I can have a personal newsletter then I don't mind doing it but for now it's just been solely from social media. I think it's a really key point you said just there about if you send an email is that something you'd want to receive because I feel like that's something that people don't generally think of they just say like oh here's my thing and it goes really salesy whereas I think any kind of content can have that kind of perception it's like if you think would I like to receive this would I like to view this would this provide me value instead of just forcing your product on someone else yeah exactly that and I put that in the ebook as well I said look make the ideal person just get a piece of A4 paper and write down the person who would buy your product and then make your content around that stop thinking the other way around from yourself and your product and thinking people need to buy this people need that xyz every time I do something new I ask people did you like this or before I'm even about to do it are you interested in xyz because for me I'm no one. I'm not going to be the person buying my ebook, right? It's going to yeah. be other people buying it. So I need to make sure I'm doing things which can appeal to my current audience. I want to keep them. I want to retain them. I want them to grow with me. And also the potential new audiences I reach. So breaking that down a little bit further, how, like, can you describe how you build this kind of character model, this kind of personality that you are selling to? Like, what kind of attributes are you looking for in this model you're creating? Yeah, so for me, it's, okay, so when I speak, I've got quite a blunt tone of voice in my writing as well. So I'm naturally going to attract people who kind of think in a similar mindset. So, you know, I've always said there are two sides to the entrepreneurial world, right? There's the, you get the outdated people I call them people in their kind of uh, 50s now and they're very hard on the hustle culture and they don't want you to ever sleep to ever rest and then you get a much younger generation and they go so hard on resting that they don't actually put the work in (laughs) Um, and I'm in between because I'm a bit more realistic with that right so there are some people who don't want to hear the realistic version of anything and I'm not going to attract them because I do give people the very honest answer in that you do not have to lose out on your sleep and please put your health before anything else but do understand that you do have to put the work in you know you don't just sit there work for one hour and then this massive amazing business is made or this idea is put 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 into fruition so I am kind of in between that and I thought I'm going to attract that specific person so anyone who is crazy on the massive hustle culture I probably won't attract them because they get annoyed when I tell people to think about your health and your kind of your mental well-being before work and then you're going to get people who don't like me because I'm telling others you need to sacrifice a couple of things in your life to kind of bring your business to fruition so that was a person I'm attracting that is a person I'm attracting so I continue to make my content around that person and I think it's so easy for me because that's me and when you're attaching your name to something you know this isn't just a product I'm making it's my name ahead of it so if it's just me and it's how I speak it's so much easier for me and people have naturally known me to be this kind of person you know it's quite funny a lot of the comments on my Instagram people like why are you shouting at us like in a kind of funny way (laughs) um and that's exactly how it is you know I speak to my friends in the same way I'm sure my sister will tell you I argue with her about the same thing but it comes from a loving place you know I'm telling people to just go out there and do what you need to do and stop thinking and procrastinating stop making those 1000 mind mind maps just do it yeah I think that's a really really important there because so many people don't target people like themselves they have a business and they think okay this is for this demographic who's completely different to me and they don't fully understand who those people are whereas as soon as you're targeting people who are like yourself you know that person really well because it's you you know the kind of things that you would like rather than being like okay I'm going to have a brand that's aimed at 18 year olds who I don't really have any kind of connection with these days but I think I can sell to them. It's thinking about like, how can you benefit yourself and how can you benefit people like you? It's actually quite funny when people tell me that I'm the next kind of Gary Vee or any of those marketing experts. I'm like, no, I'm not. Don't don't call me the next version of anyone else. 
yeah you're the you're the first you yeah exactly exactly then I don't want to be the next someone else I want people to just know me as me and I'm not discrediting any of these amazing people you know they've grown a following they've built a following and they've made lots of money from it and they're successful etc but I'm not trying to be anyone else I think that's what I'm trying to tell people I'm just trying to be me and just grow on myself and I'm not I don't have a timeline on my success and which way it's going to go etc I haven't put any of those expectations on me if I only grow by 10 followers this week that's fine with me if I lose 100 followers this week that's fine with me as well because it's just me growing my brand upon brand so yeah like you said I'm the next I'm just myself and I'm going to keep growing on that and I don't want to be the next version of anyone else and also just I don't look like Gary V. I don't have the same story as Gary V. You know, just because we both talk about marketing, it doesn't mean I'm aiming to be just like that. You know, there's lots of ways I feel like we're not the same person, but I let people decide that for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, so self aware of you because it's like we you don't you don't need to be the next Gary V. We already have Gary V. It's like I I want to listen to you for your unique perspective because you're not the other people that I listen to. So so yeah, no, I definitely I definitely get that. Um, with your experience with with kind of working with brands as you have, um, you've seen accounts that have like huge followings but have actually are really sort of struggling to drive revenue. Um, And then again, you've worked with sort of micro influencers who've got say 5,000 followers who are actually doing really well. So can we talk a little bit about how your, how that sort of vanity metric of a big number is, is probably not that important to, um, to people's actual business goals? Yeah. I mean, it's not important at all. There are stories of people, I think I read it on the news a couple of years back, there was an influencer who was on, over a million followers and she struggled to sell 25 t-shirts and then there are kind of like a mum and daughter duo brand on 10,000 followers and they're millionaires um so those numbers that you look up mean absolutely nothing for the potential sales you're going to get because you have to think about the content as well I tell people when you're uploading on Instagram are you doing it because you want likes and if it is that's fine your content's going to be one type of way Or are you doing it because you want to attract sales and the content you upload won't necessarily be the same? And this is honestly speaking a battle I've had in-house for many, many, many years because people want the Instagram feed to look aesthetically pleasing, pretty, um, exactly like you'll have it on a billboard or a point of sale in-store. But as much as people might like that because it's pretty, it doesn't mean you're telling them anything to convert them into a customer. And which is why the reviews work so well for me. It looks ugly when I post on my Instagram feed. It's just a screenshot DM. You know, sometimes there's my squiggles in the corner, etc. But that essentially... And, you know, those those posts are actually my least liked posts. I might get only 200 likes compared to my quotes, which get 1,000 plus. But mm-hmm. those reviews are converting people into customers and they might just see that review not like the post just save it and come back to it or automatically go to my link in bio and buy the book straight away whereas that quote it's building me in a brand awareness way it's building my personality but it doesn't mean it's building my ebook as well so as I've grown I've seen I've got kind of two different kind of audiences one that just follow me for my uh, motivation slash inspiration and one that follow me for social media and I make sure I'm growing both but the motivation side is just honestly for the likes and shares because the more shares that gets the more followers that's going to bring in for me whereas on the social media side the reviews they're giving me the sales you know and from the outside people are going to look at the reviews and just see the likes and think oh I don't know why she's posting that it's not really going to do anything for her but actually it's giving me more money than people probably think that's so perfectly explained. I really love that because I was I was umming and erring about whether to we've we've got a little event coming up soon, and I was umming and erring whether I should put it on my personal Instagram because I was thinking it's it's very different to everything that I'm posting in terms of my artwork and that it might not get as many likes or whatever. And it is like you're so right. I all I want is for the people who are going to be interested in that event to convert, and I don't need people to like it. I just need people to come to the event. So yeah, that's um. Yeah, really well put. I mean, even if you only convert five people, that's five people, right? 
it's five mm. people against yeah. zero people. Even if it's only two people, that's two against zero. Mm. So you need to just think about those. And I found actually a lot of the time when people are sold by the idea, they don't actually engage with your content because they go straight onto the action, onto the link in bio, onto buying the product, yeah. onto finding the swipe up link or whatever it is. So if your goal is just for likes, then that's fine. You know, some people have pages where they're like inspo pages and they're not really selling anything. So that's fine. You can work on being aesthetically pleasing. But if you want to focus on your sales for a product you've made, you need to think, if I can convert just one, two, five, ten people on this post, then I'm going to upload it. So what if it looks like shit? When people are scrolling down, they don't actually care. You know, not everyone's going to go mm-hmm. click on your grid and kind of go down and say, oh, that looks, that one looks a bit out. You know, there's not a white border on that one. No one cares apart from the person uploading it. So I've said this for so many years and it's, it's actually been quite a journey because especially when social media was fairly new and you'd have all these kind of traditional marketing experts above you being like, oh, that's not right. That looks really weird and dodgy. But I say, but look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the thing that makes us money. And I've proved it time and time again um which is actually another nice thing of not having to work for someone because I'm, I'm kind of sick of proving the same point again and again even when the sales do come through I'm like look this picture you think looks ugly but it made us 500 pounds that picture you thought looks amazing because you know it's a kind of a product flat lay you've got the professional mm-hmm. photographer professional retoucher etc made us zero so what is your aim here if you just want pretty stuff just get a videographer and photographer and tell them to upload on social because that's not doing anything. It's really interesting because that reminds me of like the really like beautiful homeware kind of shops that you walk around and never buy anything. They're like just really minimal, beautiful shops that you can walk around and like, I'll go in like 10 of them, walk down the high street, all these like beautiful boutique places and then I'll never buy anything because everything is like generally like quite expensive, but it looks really nice. And I think that's exactly the same thing there. It's like, whereas I'd go into a corner shop and buy a bag of sweets, like straight away, because there's something in there that I actually need that... Exactly. And I always, you know, people tell me, they kind of pick like the one influencer who has an amazing looking feed and say, well, look, they've done it. They're making money. And they're just looking at their aesthetics. And I said, well, actually, they're not really. They've grown that because they've realised that works for them. And you do have to kind of think about the niche as well. If you're following someone for the outfit of the day, obviously you like their style. So obviously they're going to post in that style. That's their niche. And they've continued to expand on top of that because an audience is responding to them. You know, and they actually, they don't look like they're doing that because they do it very naturally and effortlessly, but they are doing that. So all those influences that you've seen grown from kind of zero to a million. One, if they're on a million now, they were probably on Instagram way before you trying now, so it was a tiny bit easier then. But two, they're growing on top of what their audience is like. And because it's very them, it works and it looks natural and effortless. So you need to kind of go backwards from there. I suppose what it comes down to is it's like, what is the product? It's like, if, you, if you're a business and you have a product you're trying to sell, that's very different to someone who's an influencer who's just got loads of followers who's posting things to get likes. Because in that case, that influencer's product is its audience. They're trying to sell like to lots and lots of eyeballs. There's no physical thing there. Whereas as soon as you've got like an ebook or you're selling a physical product, you need to divert people. You need to convert those into sales. So it's going to be a very different tactic to just putting up nice photos. Yeah, exactly. And if you actually see a lot of influencers, um, when they have grown a following, so they get to 500k or even the million mark, and then they go launch a separate page, maybe it's like a homeware page, you know, they're decorating the house. Yeah. You'll see the engagement of followers isn't that great on that page because people are following them for that. And yeah. I even use a kind of, these massive kind of reality TV stars and celebrities, like your A-list celebrities, people follow them and they have millions and millions and millions of followers, but you go on their product page and they don't have as many because it's so far away from who they are and what they do. And, you know, I kind of say Kim Kardashian's Skims has done well because it's her, you know, that's why people kind of follow her and it's her. And if you look at the fragrance account, it took a long time for that fragrance account to grow, like a really long time. And she's been selling fragrances since 
the first few episodes of, you know, when we all watched it on TV. So when it's you and when it makes sense to you, it's going to sell. But if people can't work out that and can't really connect to the dots, and it's like, oh, it's just another project. I don't really need that. I can get there anywhere. Then it doesn't work, you know, and no one's exempt from that rule, whether you are an A-list celebrity, whether it's me, you both, anyone. If you have an account and you're looking to develop that in some way uh, into turning it into a product and being able to sell something, what would you recommend someone does to like create a product? I mean, I think it's going back to the basics of business they've been teaching in the world for centuries and centuries. Work out your unique selling point and make that your competitive advantage. I think and that's, that's not changed, but people just think different because now we have this whole social media world to play with and you're looking at likes and followers and all those tiny things. You mm-hmm. need that competitive advantage. And I think that's why I've grown because it's, you know, it's not been hard for me to grow and I hate saying that but it's not been as hard as people think and you know there are so many so-called social media experts on Instagram and wherever else you are but because I've worked out what my USP is which you know it's a tiny thing it's just my tone of voice and how I speak to people you can build upon that but if you don't have that USP you're going to get lost in it because there's going to be other people who do have one and people would rather go to them than anyone else. So it's not so much competition. Yes, be aware there are other people who are on the same page as you and they're also doing a similar and same thing and they also might be great, right? But if you've got your advantage, people can go to both of you. They're not just, you know, people buy from Nike and Adidas. They don't just stick to one because they're both massive sports brands. You can go to both of them and as long as you have that kind of strong branding, then that's fine. What do you say to the creators who say that social media isn't for them? Well, it's not going to be for them if they don't try. You know, nothing's going to be for anyone if they don't try. And I think that's, that's that's the main problem. How can you say it's not for you if you've not put your 100% effort into it. Um, I could have said Instagram's not for me very easily. I could have said Twitter's not for me. I'm not on TikTok, but I do think I could probably grow quite a following on TikTok. You know, when people say that, I'm saying, well, unless you put in your 100%, you can't say it's not for you. I definitely think you could do really well on TikTok um, just through the fact that Gary Vee's doing so well on there. Um, but you, you look like the people who use TikTok so much more than Gary Vee does. Um, so yeah. I, th- I think I think you would do well on there. I think it comes in where a lot of creators, they, they try it for a little while and because they don't see instant success, they get very frustrated and they say that, that whatever platform isn't for them. And I think a lot of it does come with, obviously because you had you had 10 years experience you knew the correct things to do and when we first start most people don't have that that foundation and they're just trying things and as they try those things they're going to make mistakes and that's quite frustrating as it is with anything if you pick up a paintbrush you're probably going to suck the first few paintings that you make and it's this this gradual and it's it's no different with social media you just you just have to try and be consistent with that trying and failure is going to happen whether you like it or not so you might as well just accept it um, and move on with it. My favourite story of this is I once told a really kind of popular CEO that she needs to be on TikTok. Um, this was before lots of people were talking about TikTok, but I just saw the way, just if you read it on the news, the way it was growing, that this was going to be a massive thing. So I told her you need to be on TikTok because you're going to get a million followers really quick if you get on TikTok just now and she didn't get on TikTok, um, etc. But she is on TikTok today and she's struggling to grow because she's just been blocked out from a lot of her noise. She is growing because it is fairly easy to grow on TikTok compared to other platforms. But I always say, just go out there and just try it because what, what do you have to lose? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if you've worked on it for six months, day in and day out, put in 100% and you still see no results, then you can probably have like a whole page of things of why it doesn't work for you and then you can move on to something else. But trying for two days, a week, two weeks and not seeing the instant really vanity metrics, that's what people are looking at. That's what when people say it doesn't work for me, they're just looking at those tiny things which boost their ego and the ego hasn't been boosted and they say, oh, well, it's not for me, no one really likes me or 
you know, this doesn't work for my product. It can work for your product. You just haven't found the way. You know, I think maybe B2B businesses in some areas, if you have like a factory and you're making sofas, maybe Instagram isn't the easiest for you. But then you go to Facebook and, you in, you know, Facebook marketplace and you probably make loads of sales from there. So you can't say social media doesn't work for you. Just find your space and put the work into it. Yeah, I think especially like when you're getting started, it's not good to be able to like to compare yourself to those massive accounts and be like, well, this isn't doing as well. Well, this isn't as doing as, as well as my other account in this diff- different social media network. So for example, like if I post on LinkedIn and I get like 40 people interact with that post, I'm really pleased with that. Even though if I could put something on Instagram and get a thousand, they're like two completely different things because it's like I'm comparing it to what I previously on that particular platform rather than comparing it to just like the overall amount of likes or amount of interactions it's getting so I know that so if I put something up this time and it got 40 likes on LinkedIn I'm not going to be unhappy that only 40 people have interacted with that I'm going to think well the last thing I put up got 20 likes so actually this is really good compared to that and the next time I if I put something up and it gets 10 likes then I'm like well okay well this obviously didn't perform as well as the last one why didn't that perform And then really start to kind of like delve deep into that. And then I think, as you were saying there, like if that hasn't worked after six months and you're still getting nothing and nothing's going up, then it might be worth looking into something else. Mm -hmm. And people do need to look into that as well. If it's not working, don't blame the platform instantly. I think my biggest pet peeve is when people DM me and say it's the algorithm. And I'm not saying it's... The algorithm is the easiest thing to work out. It's tricky. And I put this in my ebook and said, I learned the hard way when I was in publishing and Facebook was a massive thing. And it was it was actually dangerous, Facebook. The traffic Facebook could give you would always overpower Google for a lot of the top publishers back then. And that's a dangerous place to be in because you're not relying on a search engine, you're relying on a social platform. And then when you yeah. have days when your scheduled posts weren't going out, you'd see that traffic just drop immediately because Facebook always used to be broken in some way or form back then so I've been through these kind of peaks and dips and I've seen algorithms change and yes it's frustrating and yes I get it but you just have to adapt that's the name of the game of social media and because Instagram is so huge right now you're gonna have a different algorithm that one that you loved ages ago you loved it because you didn't have as many people on it you just had your friends and family, you just had, you know, tops like 300,000 followers. And that chronological order worked back then, but it's not going to work right now with so many people and so much noise. And the platforms do have to evolve. And part of that evolution is an algorithm, which is just like a bit of code, you know, it's just it's just them testing lots of different bits of code here and there. And I say stop focusing on that so much because if that eats you up, it's going to eat you up for life. It's not going to change anytime yeah. soon. I've seen it happen so many times. So stop trying to blame that algorithm. You know, people say, oh, but TikTok's great. TikTok will change eventually too, you know. TikTok are creeping their way up with advertisers. You're going to start seeing more and more ads. They're putting their money into lots of different areas and that will change as well. And then what are you going to do? Complain until another platform comes along. So you just deal with it it's an algorithm it's the challenge of social media and because things have become so easy and then just getting your likes getting your followers etc people don't treat you know they know it's a full-time job but they're not treating it as if they were in an office when you're in an office you Mm -hmm. get a hundred challenges you know whether it's your bickering back and forth in another department whether it's a passive aggressive email that you've read or you don't agree (laughs) with something that someone's on you have so many of those challenges but because people are seeing the ease of I just need to upload a picture on social media or a video, whatever it is, they don't understand you are going to get some challenges. And that's just the algorithm. That's just how it's going to be. So get used to it or don't have your job in social media full time if it's going to affect you all the time. And if you do think, think things are changing, has your content strategy changed in the past two, three years since the algorithm has changed? You know, if video is being boosted more, you know, they introduce Instagram Reels why are you not using Instagram Reels? You know, that's going to get most of your engagement because Instagram are really trying to push it. It's a new thing. They want people to use it. So you need to adapt your strategy as the social platforms grow as well. If you're doing the same thing you did five, ten years ago and it worked then, 
um, and it doesn't work now, well, that's why it's not working because you haven't moved along with the times. Yeah, and and I think it's it's the same as as the person who's tried something for six months. It's like maybe get someone who is not yourself to look over whether that's reaching out to a social media expert or even just like your friends or someone that you know that that's good that that can give you because I think sometimes we we're so close to the stuff that we're producing and it's like I I basically did an audit for someone yesterday um, and just kind of pointed out these really obvious things but because she was so close to it she just didn't see it and so by having that that outside person you can come in and go well have you thought so so for hers um it's a it's basically a platform that sort of helps artists um but she said she wasn't getting any any kind of personal growth on her instagram from all of this work she puts in to help other artists so there was just a few things i was like well as you're as you're putting all these projects on why don't you do interviews with the artists pop it up on igtv or on stories just like just a quick thing just stand there with them have a chat and then it's presented with you you can tag your personal account and just become more around the brand and it was just through me being on the outside looking in that I was able to suggest two or three different changes that would that would help that grow but sometimes you're just so close to it and you and you get frustrated because you're like oh it's not working but you're not actually changing the content that you're producing yeah which is why it's so great to speak to your audience as well ask them do you like this do you not like this and before you know put in your like a kind of a trial phase and say would you like this idea would you not like this and see what people say just an Instagram poll and if it's kind of 60-70% and above go ahead and do it and if it's you know people are saying no they don't like it then don't do it just ask the people who would buy into your product it doesn't take a lot of time to do it either social media's made that fairly easy you can do a poll on almost every platform so like you said you just need to remove yourself from the person attached to your brand which is yourself and look at the audience and see what they want this isn't new information everyone says this you go on any blog on medium any social experts page whether you're the real deal or not everyone says the same thing and that you need to care about your audience more but people just struggle in caring about the audience because they don't know how to and you know, my ebook, it goes over a lot of these basic points, which a lot of people think, oh my God, I didn't think of that. And I say, because you don't need to overcomplicate it. There's lots of information there, but people are just trying to either regurgitate the same bits of information or overcomplicating a lot of things which don't need that complication. Like you said to your friend, just an Instagram story, you know, just an interview, just go on IGTV, just all those tiny small things can make the bigger difference. And when people are giving me their results after reading my ebook, it's just from changing a few things here and there, you know, they only got to like page 80 and they thought, you know what, let me implement that on my Instagram. And then they see a 1000% growth because it's just those tiny things that they need to work on. So stop trying to overcomplicate it and take it step by step. This platform is made for you to succeed on. They want people to stay on Instagram. They want to grow. They're not going to do things to deter you away from the platform. Obviously, they're going to work more with advertisers. They need to make them and they're going to continue making money in that way. But it's there for you to succeed. You just need to find the ways which work for you. Yeah, I think it's really important as well to kind of get a bunch of people around you who can be really honest and open with you and tell you the truth, because it's very easy to surround yourself with yes men who will be like, oh, what do you think of this? And everyone's like, it's great, it's great, it's great. But then having a few people you can go to and be like, what do you actually think of this? Do you actually think this is good? You get so much more from it. Like I've got a friend who I'll talk to quite often and like, I'll just like, if I see him post something on Instagram and I think he could do, have done better, I'll just send him like a really brutal, like, this is my crit on this post. Um, like, instead of saying it like this, how about saying it like this? And just like having people around you who can just be honest and just give you the feedback when you actually need it rather than just sugarcoating everything. Because it's never going to help doing that. Like, if you go and say to your mum, like, oh, do you think this is good? She's like, oh, yes, it's absolutely brilliant. But getting people around you who will just tell you the truth is just so important. And like, there's certain people that I have on Instagram where, if I'm trying a new thing, I'll just say to them, like, what do you actually think about this? Because I know they'll give me an honest answer. And yeah, creating that little pool of people, I think, is quite an essential part of any kind of strategy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You always need that. And I think because I've 
I speak in such a blunt way as well. I've realized people speak to me like that in return. So Perfect, on my Instagram, yeah. when I kind of put that up, people aren't afraid to share me their opinions as well because, well, I guess I, I give it, so I should get it as well. Um, and that's the approach <laughs> to me as well, um, which is good, you know, and you just, you can't let these things personally affect you. So you might have thought this is a brilliant idea and you realize three hours later no one cares for it um none of my kind of current readers care for it and you're like well you know what just need to move on to something new and um i'm trying to kind of build a planner um and i want it to have my inspirational quotes in it but i want it to be a tiny bit different but again i'm going into something where there are so many planners out there etc mm -hmm. so i'm asking a lot of my audiences what you do and don't like in a planner because then i can go away and take that information uh, and then kind of go to with the help of a designer and put that into real life so for me it's all about like you said getting those honest opinions for sure you know yeah, yeah don't go don't go to that friend who's always gonna who's afraid to tell you the complete truth or you know that so you get some friends who are just nice people right just all around super nice never want to say anything which they feel like might hurt your feelings but you need to go to those people who are going to be brutal with it probably in the same industry with you as you because they know the audience is a tiny bit more and get that second opinion yeah because your mum is always going to say it's great yeah <laughs> i think the key is as well is it to remember that you're creating these products for these other people you're not creating it for yourself so by asking that information from other people you're going to get the answers that you need whereas if you just think well i like this so of course everyone else is going to like it that's where things generally fail yeah yeah i was speaking to someone the other day and they're launching a beauty product and they have quite a bit of a budget that they've managed to find for a photographer and videographer and i just looked at the product and i said take a tiny bit of money out of that pay another photographer videographer who aren't who aren't as expensive and make a focus group and get your answers from that focus group instead you know be a bit more wise and get those answers and then you can go ahead because I've, and I'm probably going to annoy a lot of professional photographers when I say this, but when you have a beauty product, and I've done it myself in real life, and that you know, you've got a whole team of designers and art directors, and they're great at what they do for things like websites and massive billboards and magazine advertisements, etc. But sometimes I just go into the spare office room and take a picture from my iPhone. And that gives me more engagement, likes and kind of swipe ups to website than that beautiful picture, which has taken us like eight weeks to get through because of so many different processes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying those roles are bad for social media, but pick and choose what you're going to do. You don't need a huge amount of money to be successful on social media. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because if you look at a page like um, like a beauty brand like Charlotte Tilbury, a lot of their images aren't perfect they're not like they're not from a big shoot they're just on a studio with someone's phone they're like really really basic but those are the ones that get the most engagement compared to ones that are part of a huge campaign because if you look at a beauty product and you see a huge campaign shot obviously they're going to make it look good right obviously they're going to yeah. pop up their product loads but when you kind of see that swatch on a skin or you see people physically open the product and testing it out, that's more real for the person who's going to buy it. I'm not going to look yeah. at a new lipstick um, on a campaign shot and say, I need to buy that immediately. I might be interested in it. It might, you know, I might look over it twice because it's something new for me. But until I physically either go into store and see the colour myself or see someone actually applying it on themselves, I'm not going to be 100% sold, you know. That's why beauty influencers do so well for beauty brands because it's something you have to physically put on and show the result, the kind of the before and after. And until you've got that element of real life in your imagery, especially on social media, you know, I get it for magazines, etc., to have things a bit more glossy, especially if you're going to be in a glossy magazine. But for social media, you need that real element. I think now more so than ever because we we've got to a point where we've over filtered things so much that people are getting sick of it at first it was a cool thing to do because you looked like you had like this glamorous life and maybe use it for a bit of escapism but now people are so sick of it especially with the pandemic where everyone's at home you know 
for example, for the beauty industry, you're not wearing makeup every day anymore. You're not getting up to get ready to go to the office and do your commute. So you just want to feel a bit more real. You don't want to look at these filtered images and feel crap. So now more than ever, you need to put the real life in whatever you're doing. And we've seen these big glossy images since like the 1980s. It's, it's nothing new. And it makes me think of like the, the food um, posts where they, they post a burger or whatever and the cheese is made out of plasticine or something. And it's just completely false. But we, we've been around long enough now to know that these are not the real products. And it's like, yeah, by actually seeing someone with in real life who, who you trust, who you know, like I know that they're not going to be fake and they're actually using the real product and these are the real results it's like of of course that's going to work because we're so we're, we've been oversaturated with all of this stuff that we know isn't real having like the the visuals of a real person with it that's effectively the same as you putting a review up on your page it's like this is the actual review of the product this is how it works in real life yes you're going to need certain imagery that shows that you're a strong brand and you've got the money to make stuff look legit and it's going to be a good product but then having those real world, real world reviews, that's what people are going to connect to because they're like, well, that's real rather than just something that's been manufactured. Like everyone knows when they go onto a, a thing and they can see reviews about something that are fake. When you're like, oh my God, this is the best place I've ever been to. You know, like, well, it's clearly not the best place you've ever been to. So that's probably not a real review and instantly makes you feel less about the brand. So having, it's authenticity, I suppose, isn't it? It's like, if you can be as authentic as possible with the things that you put out, then people are going to see that and, and want to be a part of it. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's user-generated content, you know, and that's what influences, even though it's not technically user-generated because you're paying them to do it or you're, give, or you're getting them products, mm -hmm. it's still the same idea, like you said, of having someone physically show the product. And audiences are quite savvy now. They're not, you know, like, like you said as well before, we've had these kind of glossy magazines for centuries now and these kind of adverts and before you'd look at it and think, oh my God, this person's perfection and amazing. But we've grown so much since then as just people, general users and readers, etc., who know when Photoshop um, is that or Photoshop has been used, who know when you've put a filter on a product, etc. So I'm not, you know, I'm not totally against it. I think you can look great in it, but I think just being honest about it on the same kind of level, you know, everyone likes a filter now and then, etc. So I'm not against any of those, but it's just being honest and real with it and knowing when and where to use it. I love seeing those um, comparison pictures of like someone who's bought like say a dress from ASOS and they post up the picture of the model wearing it and then them wearing it. And it's just like completely <laughs> unrealistic in the, in the post photo. Um, so we we've mentioned your your ebook um, throughout the episode. Um, can we talk about the um, the price point and the your decision to price it kind of quite high for um, for an ebook? Okay, so fifty five pounds right now. It was forty six when I first launched, just as an intro offer. So I didn't compare this to other ebooks. I compared it to other social media courses which I've seen and I've kind of begged my ex-managers to let me take because I thought it would give me life-changing new information to learn from. And these have costed from around £260 the least to thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, and the same goes for when I go to social media conferences and they cost a lot of money. Yeah. And then I come out and I'm like, I've learned nothing new. I knew all of this already. And I thought, what I'm essentially giving people here is a course. And it's not just your average ebook where it's 40 pages long and it's 90% images and size 18 text across it, which I've seen a lot of ebooks <laughs> are. You know, you're learning quite a bit from it. So I'm not comparing this to another ebook, I'm comparing it to a course. So in that sense, I feel like what I'm giving you, if I convert this into a course, people would say this is the equivalent of one pound for a course because there's so much information in there. Imagine there are 50 chapters and each of those chapters I could have made a two hour course session from. So that's a huge, huge course, which is why a lot of university students and now I've got a few professors as well say this is the equivalent of our marketing degree because there's so much in there which we're learning from. So yes, it's high if you just kind of see it as an ebook, but it's not just an ebook. 
no i i love that and um so i've i've read it and um there is a lot in there that i've not seen anywhere else um so i think that for for us like we only um we only endorse people on this show who we do believe in that we've um so i have read the book and i i do recommend it yes it is 55 pounds but like you said the um the value that's packed into that is is um is definitely much bigger than you would get on a, on a lot of courses so um so well done you it's a it's a bloody well written book and i think um i think a lot of people are going to find it really useful oh, thank you thank you and you know you get free updates for life so really you know it's a lot you're getting a lot of information for a long period of time for that one-off price whereas normally it's like two thousand pounds for a course and you come out lo- not learning much and then that's it you've done it yeah, yeah. no that's awesome um so Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I think, I mean, we've, yeah, we've scraped the surface. Um, it's, it's been a really uh, insightful interview. So I think we'll probably have to do a part two down down the road. But um, thank you for your time. And could you let our listeners know where they can find you online? Yep. So very easy. Just my name, Unsa Malik, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go. Just put it in Google and you'll find it. The, the pros of having a name no one else has, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very easy to find. And I always kind of reply to your tweets and DMs, etc. Unless you're asking for a free consultation, which takes 10 hours of my time. Um, I'm open <laughs> to replying to anyone and everyone that comes my way. But thank you. Amazing. Thank, thank you so, so much. much.